On today's podcast, I got a kind of a bonus for you today. We're going to do really two interviews, but it's with the same person. When I was at Range Day at SHOT Show, I ran into Ken Cooper. Now, he runs Buffalo Cartridge Company and BRG USA. Now, before we talk to Ken and find out more about Buffalo and BRG, let's pay the bills. This episode is brought to you by Primary Arms. When I was in FFL, I did a lot of transfers for Primary Arms. I had customers buying online from Primary Arms, and then I did the final transfer here in Montana. Their customer service is awesome. I was always impressed with them as an FFL. Even after I was an FFL, I became a customer of Primary Arms. As a matter of fact, I have a rifle build going on right now that parts came from Primary Arms. If you're looking for a good price with great customer service, check out Primary Arms. I have a link in the description down below. It is an affiliate link and a small per, uh, amount of your purchase will come back to the channel to continue to bring you additional content. Now with the bills paid, let's talk to Ken Cooper. Ken, tell me about your love of guns. Who is Ken Cooper? <laughs> well, first of all, thanks for having me today. Uh, it's great to have you because I, I know that you're busy and we'll get into that a little bit. But yeah, it's great having you on. I appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, who is Ken Cooper? Boy, that's a that's a question that nobody asks quite that way very often. <laughs> Uh, not that anybody would care, but I'm a, I'm a guy who's blessed to be part of a team that is doing a lot of fun stuff that ranges mostly uh, inside the firearms industry from ammo to firearms. And it's been on the manufacturing side, but it's also been on the importing side. And it's been a lot of fun. Cool. Now, how did you get into making ammunition? I mean, you know, back when I was applying for my FFL, it was, you know, I originally wanted to make ammunition, but, you know, through my research, I'm like, you know, this is a little more than just sitting down at a Dillon press and cranking out ammo. Uh, how, how did you get into ammo? So my business partner now was my boss um, when I was in my senior year of college and was my boss for my first 10 years out of college. We were in a completely different industry uh, in the telecommunications world. So we had a, a contracting company that did field service for one of the major telecom providers. And that was great. Um, you know, we, we learned a lot of lessons. We um, did a pretty good job of service on our customers and worked with actually some really great organizations. We were part of the direct TV network, but we worked with JD Power in understanding how customer satisfaction works and drives. And it, it was, again, just a great learning experience. Well, through that whole time, my boss, John, had been a lifelong just enthusiast about firearms, and in particular, Old West firearms. So he's a big collector of Buffalo Bill memorabilia. He basically decides to take some of the proceeds from the telecom company and open up a side passion project, which was the Buffalo Trading Company in Finley, Ohio. And this, this store started great and it gets, it's like a fine wine. It gets better with age. It, it really does. 
So every year there's new uh, antiques that show up in this place that have people going, where, where do you get this stuff? But he's been in that realm for 40 years. He travels around the country and he finds these old West collectibles. And so anyway, the, the store is, you know, equal parts gun and gun store and museum and in particular old West museum. Well, 2012 was when he opened the store, I believe, maybe 2011. 2012, he opens his gun range, and Sandy Hook happens, and a terrible tragedy, and he can't find ammo. He just he can't get ammo to fuel his gun range that he just spent all this money opening up, got the public all excited about. And so, you know, eventually he sits us down, a team of us, and says, hey, I think we should start our own ammo company. And I'll tell you, I didn't grow up in the gun culture. I, you know, my, my father didn't hunt. Uh, there was one gun in the house. I didn't know about it or I didn't know about it until I was a little bit older. Yeah. But to, to have somebody say, hey, we're just going to start an ammo company. You know, I have ultimate respect for the American spirit and the entrepreneurial spirit. But when somebody says, hey, we're going to start our own ammo company, as a guy that comes from outside that realm, you just start yeah. screwing your head right you go yeah can you do that how do you do that but we did we figured it out and we we started as a small company um on a hand loading press that turned into some automated equipment that turned into some more automated equipment that turned into a bigger warehouse and then as i'm sure you found out in your own research it's it's not as simple as it might look from the outside you don't just get a hornady reloading book and buy a press you can, but before you know it, like you're dealing with different powders, different primers, different casings, different projectiles. And the way all those four components interact matters a lot more than I think a lot of folks realize. You got to be really on top of your game to grow a business like that. Well, I mean, and manufacturing ammo is way different than reloading or loading ammunition for personal use. I mean, you know, if I'm building up a load for, um, you know, if I'm going to shoot uh, um, three gun or um, IPSC or steel challenge, I, you know, I know certain load factors. Um, I know the gun that I'm shooting, you know, because I have thousands and thousands of rounds. Um, I know how far I can push those loads mm-hmm. or back or back them off, depending on what I'm trying to do. I mean, you're trying to build ammunition for everybody's gun. Yeah, it was interesting. I mentioned we started real small with a hand-loading press, and and it was all reloaded ammo at the beginning. And so one of the first challenges you face when you're doing that on a commercial level, you know, we all face the same challenges in the industry of just getting over the initial red tape. You have to be properly licensed and background checked, et cetera. And then you got to have some funding and buy the right equipment and get started up. You know, that, that's just regular business stuff. Right. One of the hurdles we had to overcome being a, a, um, a reloading business was how a lot of people looked at us because that's how we started, just reloading spent shell casings. When you go out there and you're reloading, a lot of people immediately in their mind, they think about like Uncle Joe's little shack at the back of the back 40. Hmm where he's got a hand loading press and he's picking up casings off the ground and spit shining them and reload and getting the public to understand 
No, we're actually using commercial equipment where we're taking those casings and we're putting putting them through a commercial case processing unit that will pressurize the case and tell us, hey, is any air escaping? That might be hairline fractures that Joe consumer wouldn't typically be able to tell in his basement. Um, and so when you're reselling to the public, getting that that trust factor going was a big deal and having the right equipment and doing things like plant tours and videos and you know, you can explain it, but you get a lot farther by showing somebody what it is. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. That's kind of the important thing when you're dealing with that manufacturing, especially on reloading. Um, th you know, through my research, th th that's really why I decided, you know, I don't want to do this ammo thing. I'm just going to be a regular FFL and sell guns. But, you know, you start talking about like um, reloading the 40 you know, the, the 40 Smith and Wesson, mm -hmm. you start learning about, you know, gloss bulges and then, okay, how do you deal with that? You know, yeah. you know roll sizing the, the cartridge and, and, um, and like you were saying, going in and then pressure testing, because you have no idea where that ammo has been. I mean, you could have someone bringing you ammo. It, well, let me quite frankly, it could be ammo that, you know, brass that I've shot and I've already reloaded six times. You have no idea what that brass is. You know, when I started looking at those pressure testers, those things are not cheap. No, we, we were fortunate. We actually bought uh, a ballistic system from a company that had gone out of business. So we got it for a very good bargain rate. But you're right. I mean, to do the job the right way, you have to have the ability to not just velocity test. You know, a lot of people, they'll pull out their reloading yeah. book and they say, well, if I'm using tight group on a nine millimeter, I need this many grains for this weight of a projectile. And then they run it out at the back range at their house through a velocity tester and they go, okay, I'm good. Well, yeah, the odds are good that you're probably good. But when you're dealing in a commercial loading situation, particularly like we were, when, when we were first starting, you couldn't get consistent powder supply of one supplier or one particular type. And so it seemed like every third day we fired up our machines, we were putting a different powder in there and we had to make yeah. sure we didn't just trust some book because there's variances in the powders that are produced, no matter how good those powder manufacturers are, there's slight variances. And then there's slight variances in if you're running a, a machine day after day after day, the powder drop can be... It, <laughs> If you've ever worked in any any trade where there's machines involved, it's almost like they have their own personalities. Yep. Like today it runs this way and tomorrow it runs a little bit differently. And so lot testing was extremely important. And I'll tell you a quick story. We we got so lucky. No, I shouldn't say lucky. We got we've been blessed at almost every step. We found the right people at the right time in the right place. So there was a guy who was coming into our local retail store that I mentioned, you know, my, my partner, John opens this range. We start building our own ammo. So now, you know, business is going okay. They got some, some people in there that are shooting league and whatnot. Well, this, I think it was the Tuesday night league. There's this guy who's coming in. He's just tearing it up on a weekly basis. And it turns out he's a 23 year veteran of the Marine Corps. And his job while he was in the Marine Corps was a, a primary marksmanship instructor. So he's teaching other Marines how to shoot. But on top of that, he's on the competitive pistol and rifle shooting teams. Oh, wow. And on, which is tough to be on those yeah. teams. I mean, you're the best of the best. And then on top of that, 
he's the guy who was responsible for developing and loading the actual ammunition that the Marine Corps is using in these national competitions. All, all match ammo. Yeah. And he's tearing yeah. up our league in Finley, Ohio and catches wind that we started this ammo company and we bought this ballistic equipment. We're looking for somebody to run it. And somebody sits down and has a conversation with him and says, well, what's your background? He tells that whole story and they say, what are you doing now? He says, I'm a plumber. They say, well, <laughs> you know, maybe coming in doing this. He says, yes, of course I would <laughs> rather be doing that. So of course, it, not that there's anything wrong with being a plumber. I have some very good friends who are plumbers. I'm glad they're there. I think it's a fantastic profession, but what are the odds that we find that guy in that situation? Yeah. I mean, that's like Forrest Gump right there, right? Yeah. I mean, just it just fell right into your lap. Yep. Um, that's, yeah, that's amazing because, I mean, he's got a very specific skill that, I mean, you're talking 50 people in the country may have. Yeah, so Randy is his name, and uh, he actually – you might have met him at SHOT Show. I can't recall, but he was out there. He was one of our instructors out at the range. Um, but is he, he the was, one that, is he the one that shot to 10,000 rounds? Nope, that was Rodney. Okay, okay. So both Marines, Rodney was a third recon, and Randy was a, a PMI. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just um, – I mean, that's, that's absolutely amazing. I mean, you just do not run into that type of person. Um, I mean, that was, that was great. And, you know, you, you mentioned that you started right when Sandy Hook went off. You know, I remember I was an FFL when Sandy Hook went off and I remember, I mean, it was, the, the market was insane. Um, I mean, guns were moving like crazy and you could not find reloading components they were just gone well in like this last bad. year has has probably been the worst since then um or yeah. shouldn't say this last year but we're coming out of a period that was the worst one you know we've only been in the industry for about nine years but from the the great friends we've made throughout the industry we've kind of heard it down to a person who said that this last cycle we went through was the most intense most folks have ever seen but Prior to that, I think that that post Sandy Hook was probably the worst in terms of there was such a demand that it, it wasn't just ammo. It wasn't just guns. It was components. It was everything related. It was bullets. It was cases. It was primers, powder. Yeah. Um, it was it was like literally everything. Yeah. Um, if it was I mean, you couldn't even buy like lead shot to reload shotgun shell holes. Um, well, it was it was weird. Yeah, and it's interesting because like ever since I've started to learn this this industry about guns, people have been telling me again. This is kind of an interesting side story. But people have been telling me the '40s dead and it's never coming back. It's dead, <laughs> and then it seems like every cycle we go through, it's kind of similar. That people go, okay, nine millimeters too hard to get, or it got you know unexplicably expensive and it shouldn't be. So what else do I have in my safe? What am I going to go shoot? And so the next thing you see start to go high demand, high prices, 38s. And it's not necessarily scientific what I'm telling you here, yeah. but your observation is that they go, okay, what's my next thing? Well, there's a lot of 38s in the world. So then 38 gets tough to find. And then maybe 357 and then maybe 380s. And then the next thing you know, after all the 45 ammo is gone, people go, well, I do have this 40 that's been sitting around. And then <laughs> 
the demand for 40 goes through the roof, right? Yeah. I, you know, I think sometimes in any industry, <laughs> firearms one, everybody likes to, I guess, we indulge in this fantasy that our industry is completely unique, but to some degree, they all just follow some basic laws of supply and demand, don't they? Yeah, they, they do. It's funny. So, so it's, I laugh at the 40 thing, right? So um, I was one of the people that went from nine to 40 and then back to nine. And then, um, you know, I have like ammo cans of 40 that are loaded because mm -hmm. back then I was competing with 40 and, you know, I was, I was working with my power factors and all that stuff. And then, you know, I couldn't get components for nine, um, even though we still had nine um, loaded. Uh, my wife shoots 380, which 380 out here in Montana just disappeared. Hmm. And I found myself going back. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to piss away my nine millimeter. I'm going to go back to 40 because, well, I'm going to save my nine. And there's 40 there. It's kind of funny that you say that because there was kind of a little rush of anything, right? What can I get? Um, uh, you know, the people, I know people that were buying ammo for calibers. They didn't even have Yeah, hope, hoping that they could trade. Yeah. Well, and so it, it kind of segues into what we're talk talking about here. Obviously when we first met, I'm out at range day and we're, we're debuting a gun that we're importing from Turkey, but that's a yeah. far stretch from getting into, Hey, my, my boss has a, uh, retail range that he opened up and he can't get ammo to you fast forward nine years and you're importing a foreign pistol from Turkey that the world has never seen before. But when you follow the stair step, <laughs> the stone, the stepping stones, it kind of makes sense. We, well, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, you're talking about this and I, I, I was going to start segueing into that. I mean, you, so you're, you're building this ammo, in this, you know, you're in the ammo industry. Mm. How did you make this transition over to importing guns? Well, I'll tell you really what you know, the story centers around is hardship and difficulty, um, which I think is, is a good thing for the DNA of any company to figure out what you're made of and can you get through the tough stuff. So we're building ammo, we're building the company, and it seems like every month, our employee count is bigger. Our machine count is bigger. Our purchase orders for the four main components, casings, projectiles, powder, primers are bigger. But then it's all the other associated stuff. There's packaging and marketing and um, everything was, was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the sales were there to support it. When Donald Trump got elected our president, the ammo industry changed for us. And that was our first major change in the cycle because we had gotten in in the Obama era. Um, and then when when Trump gets elected, it became really hard for the little guy to make it. And I'll spare yeah. you all the bloody, gory details. But, you know, again, our industry is like most others. It's a supply and demand thing. And so the demand went down significantly after Trump was elected. And yeah, everybody's got their different theories and opinions about that. And it's that is what it is. The fact is sales went down, but more importantly, the price that the big guys were offering the market went way down. Yeah. 
And when big level manufacturers who can provide a retail product to the market for a price that's cheaper than it's going to, what it's going to cost me just to buy the components, we can't compete in that market space. And so we had to find different ways to compete. And so that's when importing hit our screen. Uh, again, I, I, we, we view it as a blessing from God that the timing worked out just right. We get a random contact from Turkey, uh, a rep over there. His name is Matei. He's become a very good friend of mine, very knowledgeable in the industry. He says, hey, I'm representing a company here, a, a manufacturer in Turkey that makes high quality ammunition. They're one of the oldest ammunition factories over here, and they're looking for a U.S. importer. So we start exploring that option. We don't know Matei. We don't know this company, but we think, hey, we're going to put it through the paces and see what happens. And you fast forward, and I can't even tell you how many millions of rounds we've brought over here from them now. And I don't mean millions. I'm talking tens of millions. I think we, we may be over 100 million. I, I don't even know. Wow. A lot of ammunition. And it's very high quality. Um, we've had great success with it. and We've been very fortunate and blessed that it came along when it did. So we, we do that gig for a while. And then because of COVID, I wasn't able to go inspect the factory before we did the deal, which is kind of counterintuitive. Usually before you yeah. start sending money you and product, you go inspect the factory, right? Right. Well, because of COVID, we couldn't do that. So I went over there. I don't know, it, was it was almost a year after we had first been engaged by this company. And we inspect the factory and it's everything we knew it would be because we had already seen the finished product and, and really enjoyed the success of it. But it was great to be validated to go over there and meet the people and see the factory. And while we're there, Matei says, hey, there's this other company I really want you to meet. They're a gun manufacturer. I said, oh, which one? He said, well, you've never heard of them because this is their first model gun. <laughs> and that's that's a little bit of a tough spot to be in for a company that's never imported a gun before, right? Sure. If you're a company that has a track record of importing guns and getting it right and the, the public trusts you and loves you, that's one thing. But we were a small-time, still are, a small-time ammo company who wanted to bring a gun to the market for the first time. And we had to figure out, is this in our DNA? Can we do this? But after that factory visit, you know, when we walk through the door and we see the quality of the facility, the employees, the knowledge and the design, it was a no brainer for us. We said, somebody's going to bring this to the USA and make a lot of money and we want it to be us. And so off to the races, we went and started figuring out how do we be, become a gun importer who can launch a brand from the ground up. And, and it's funny because, you know, I, I think my first introduction to Turkish guns was um it, it was probably about 18 years ago uh, a buddy of mine i was still living on the east coast and uh, a buddy of mine he wanted to start shooting sporting clays mm -hmm. so we went out and you know i have a, a a browning a5 and he went out with my old um remington 870 pump action which in sporting clays he's outmatched just right there so he, he had some fun. So then he went out and bought a Turkish shotgun. And I'm just like, huh. <laughs> you know, he's mm. kind of scratching my head. And, and, uh, and, you know, we went out there and, you know, we shot a couple of rounds of sporting clays with that Turkish shotgun. And I, I was, uh, you know, we traded off shotguns. And I'm like, Some, something's going on here. This is, you bought this gun for, 
an amazing price. And it kind of feels a little bit like other shotguns on the market right now um, that Mm -hmm. are made by bigger names. And it runs, um, you know, and and it points right. It hits the targets. And that's where I started learning about, you know, these guns coming in from them. And then, you know, you start going forward into the industry, you know, even into the past 10 years, there is a lot of stuff coming in from, from that area now. Absolutely. Um, And, and I mean, some of it is, well, let's just say, you know, some of it's subpar, but most of it is like just dead on. Somehow they just figured this thing out. We're making guns and we're going to have the quality there. And it's just, it, it, it totally surprised me, even as an FFL. Um, I did not, I didn't see that coming. Um, and and you kind of, you're over there doing ammo and then you find a company building a new gun with those, with that quality in mind. It, it, it's just kind of awesome. Yeah. If you look at kind of Turkey spot geographically and historically in the world, um, they're the, they're the original melting pot. You know, obviously America is a great story of being a melting pot and, and why that can be such a success in terms of blending different perspectives and cultures and talents when you look at, at Turkey, they've always been the bridge of, of the entire uh, geographical center of everything over there. They literally, I mean, right there at the focal point are the crossroads of Europe and Asia and the Middle East and Russia. They're right there. I think the visited everything that I had because I'm a, I'm a history nut. I love history. Everything I had known about that region of of the world came to life for me because you really got to see uh, this is a a very proud country. Obviously, they're our NATO ally. They they do things with an extreme level of ownership and pride. And so I don't I I don't know the history of how exactly they first got involved in the firearms industry of of guns that were being imported here into the U.S. But I know you are right that shotguns were kind of the tip of that spear. Um, You know, I like to tell a story about how last year I I became a waterfowl hunter about five years ago. And last year I had an opportunity to buy a a gun for a very good price. And it was a Weatherby. When I took it apart and I'm inspecting it, it was actually made in Turkey at the ATA factory. It's the Weatherby Element. And I love it. I absolutely love this gun. It runs like butter. It's it's fantastic. So it was no surprise to me, you know, to go over there and see all that history, all that culture, everything I knew about that part of the world come to life that this is this is a country that definitely is tech forward. There's a lot of investment happening. When you walk in a factory over there, you see, wow, they're they're dealing with leading edge, cutting edge technology and the machinery they're using. These are skilled employees. When you walk up to a machine, you talk to these folks. They know what they're to the most minute detail. This is highly skilled operators. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, when we think of, I mean, it's kind of snobbish as Americans, you know, we kind of 
we kind of look down on some of these countries. You know, when you see Turkey, you're thinking second world, third world, right? Um, we've all seen um, we've all seen the, the stories about the illegal 1911s coming in from like the Philippines, where these guys are just they're making these 1911s up in the hills and they're, you know, they're filing away at them and they're making them by hand. We kind of think of, you know, at least for me, I, I kind of think of, you know, Turkey like that. You know, I'm like, how could they have this technology? But if you think about it, you know, with their economy, why would they not have technology? Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm probably going to misquote this, but I feel like Turkey is the number 12 economy in the world by GDP. You know, th there's nothing second or third world about that, right? Yeah, exactly. Almost a That's top a economy in the world. This is, you go over there. I mean, if you closed your eyes and you woke up in Turkey, you're driving down, you know, beautiful paved highways with streetlights and architecture and um, the seaside that looks very much like you could be driving up the coast of California. You know, it's it's just a very, it to your point, it would be very ill-conceived for any American to think that Turkey in, in particular is a country that you could look at and say, they're not on par with us when it comes to technology and their ability to manufacture extremely high quality goods. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's just our perception of the world. I mean, we, we think, you know, we're Americans, we're, we're number one, we're at the top of the food chain and stuff like that. How could they possibly turn out a gun? you know, a, a piece of machinery and um, they've proven year over year with different manufacturers, they they're up to the job. I mean, these are not guns that are, are sloppy. You know, this, this is not like a 1911 that's been sitting around for, you know, a hundred years in, a, in an arsenal somewhere where it just rattles. I mean, they have some good tolerances. They have great shooting guns. I mean, that's where, you know, you said earlier at range day, that's actually where the two of us met at shot show. Mm -hmm. And I got to shoot the, the BRG nine there at the range day. And I was like, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, it's another Turkish gun. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I'm sitting there shooting that gun. And I'm like, yeah, there's something different here. Right. I mean, you know, uh, the way that you had, I, I loved how you had range day set up because you would come into the tent and there was the gun and we would talk to someone about the gun, right? There was the packaging. And then there was the gun that I said earlier, that was the 10,000 round gun. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at this gun just going, yeah, this, this thing is like, this thing could, could compete against, you know, a SIG or, you know, a, a Smith and Wesson or something like that. I'm like, all right, there's something about this. And then, you know, from there, after we, you know, learn about the gun, um, and I'm going to ask you a little bit about the specs about that gun. Um, you know, we go forward to get our ammunition and then forward from there to do the, the firing line. That was, you know, for me, that was an amazing experience because you guys had that set up where everything just flowed naturally. And then, you know, after you shot, you came back and that's where I met you in the tent mm -hmm. is coming back from the firing line. And um, 
you know, I want, I just kind of wanted to talk a little, have you talk a little bit about that firearm. Um, sure. Cause you know, that 10,000 round gun, you looked at that 10,000 round gun. And I'm like, okay. I, I, I thought it was maybe like, I don't know, like a 3000 round gun. I mean, there was like very little wear to that gun. Well, and I'll tell you what's amazing about that gun. So Rodney, who was on the range, um, he had put 10,000 rounds through that gun up, up to that point. He's now over 12,000. I think he might be pushing 13,000 as of today. And it still looks the same as when you saw it, you know, at 10,000. And when I say the same, I'm talking about the internal guts of it. You take it apart and, you know, people who know guns know what to look for. And when you look at the underside of that slide, you're looking for uneven wear. That's yep. going to tell you about too much play in the gun, right? Or even if the wear is even, is it noticeable, significant, deep wear that you wouldn't want to see? And this gun shows almost nowhere. I mean, yeah. It's remarkable, right? And the reason is because of the materials. And so, look, it puts some people to sleep because it's not exciting, but the, the makeup of the steel is important. Okay, so we're dealing with a forged dual heat treated steel, which already is a, a step up. But now we got to talk about what kind of steel it is. It's not the industry standard 4140 steel. And that yeah. refers to the specific alloy of the steel, the metals in it. This is a 4340 steel, which means it has higher nickel content, which makes it a stronger metal that's more wear resistant, less susceptible to stress fracturing. It's going to be a longer living gun, period, because of that. But it's also going to be a safer gun because, God forbid, if there were any failures, this, this steel is not going to fracture, fly apart. It's going to hold together. Now, what's made of the 4340 steel? It's the slide, the barrel, and the slide rails or the slide blocks. So in a, a striker fire pistol, <laughs> thing apart, you have a forward uh, block or, or set of rails. And in a lot of guns, that rear one is part of the polymer. It's molded as part of the frame and all the riding is done up front. And then the rear polymer one just acts as a guide. Right. Well, on this gun, they're both steel and you're basically riding on, again, 4340 higher quality steel, not just on the front and on the rear, but it's also longer slide rails. It's 80 millimeters of steel that you're riding on as com compared to some competitors that are only 40 millimeters. Why does that matter? Well, when you're shooting it, you can tell the difference if you shoot a gun that is sloppy versus one like ours that is well-built and tight. You can feel it in the recoil. And a lot of things go into how do you feel the recoil. One of the big mistakes new gun owners make is they pick up a, a gun and they say, oh, I like it. It's lightweight. Well, do you have a yeah. lot of experience? <laughs> yeah, it's, that, that, that can work against you. It can. Now, I'm not saying that a lightweight gun is bad. I'm just saying for folks no. that pick it up and they don't have any shooting experience, they have to understand that thing can snap out of your hand until you've learned proper grip techniques, etc. Yep. Right. So this gun has it's everything from the geometry and, and the bore axis in relation to the slide, the overall weight, the quality of the materials, how much steel you're riding on. And then one of the big components is how beefy the dual stage recoil spring is. And so having that dual stage recoil spring allows you to absorb more recoil in the first place. But then the fact that the engineering in the gun, again, going back to this Turkish piece, the, the generated the BRG factory, Burgu Metal, is, is Fati. 
and Fatih came up in the defense industry working for MKE, which is the big Turkish military contractor yep. or, or supplier of the Turkish military. So he, he really had an inside look at how guns should be made. And then when he spun off and started his own company, he was making components for other gun companies before he finally came to the conclusion, I am ready to design and, and introduce my own gun to the world. Well, one of the things he did, going back to this dual recoil spring, he said, I'm going to take all the parts of the guns that I've seen that I like, and I'll incorporate what I do like, but anything I don't like, I'm going to make it better. And so it's not that there's never been a gun company with a beefy dual stage recoil spring. It's not that there's never been a company that's had steel blocks at the front and the rear. It's not that nobody ever thought to use 4340 steel. It's that he's doing all of these things at once. And when you shoot the gun, yeah. to your point, you know, when you were on the range and you had it, you weren't looking for any amazing experience. You just said, okay, it's a gun. It's a nine millimeter striker fired polymer pistol. It's a Turkish gun. I'm going to go shoot it and it'll be what it is. But somewhere in the middle of that shooting experience, some part of your brain, because you're a guy who shot a lot, goes, wait a minute. This is, yeah. this is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of, it's kind of crazy with that is exactly what you said. I, 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 uh, I'll, I'll be, I'll admit it. I'm, I'm, I'm a snob. I like shooting my SIGs and, and I'm a SIG snob. And, uh, you know, I came walking up and I'm like, okay, well, Hey, look, if nothing else, it's range day and I get to shoot a gun and I right. don't have to put the ammo into it. Right. And then, you know, I, you know, walking up, you had the different back straps, you know, each table had, um, one gun with each back strap because you have an interchangeable back strap. And I, you know, I felt the gun I'm like, okay, this, this is me. And I remember coming up, going on target, squeezing that trigger. Cause I, I'm going very slow. Cause I'm trying to figure out what the trigger is and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, this is, you know, I'm going through the take up and, and I'm going through all the mechanics of the gun. And then I squeeze and then finally I hit that wall and I squeeze that trigger and I'm like, Ooh, that wasn't what I was expecting mm. at all. Um, and then now I'm like, oh, screw the mechanics. I just want to have fun now. Right. <laughs> and then, um, I enjoyed shooting that gun. And then, um, you know, when I was there, it was, it was, it was a little light. I mean, I saw your, I saw your booth there and you kind of had these waves where you were just slammed and then it got light and slammed and it got light. Yeah. I was fortunate enough that when I was shooting that, it was light, it was light. They're just like another mag i'm like oh yeah um and then you know it that's where it kind of came back to me where the experience in the tent before i got to the firing line um talking about the steel talking about that type of stuff and i'm like yeah th there's something different about this gun i mean it feels it feels like a springfield um which is not a bad thing i mean springfield has some very good ergonomics to it and um i you know when i was 21 i went out and bought a glock 17 i competed with that gun i've been banging away on keyboards since the third grade and i'm starting to get carpal tunnel mm -hmm. that's why i came off of of glocks and onto sigs was just because of the ergonomics you know i picked your gun up it felt right in my hand it felt it, it felt good and then that experience of 
um, you know, that recall, that recoil of the gun was not battering. It was, it was, it was a smooth recoil to it. Yeah. Um, and then that's, that's where I got to talk back at the tent again. I'm just like, yeah, tell me more about this gun, you know, because I forgot half the stuff when I was, when I, you know, I'm, I, I just want to get to shoot the gun and you're telling me about this gun. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Great, great, great. I want to get, now I want to really know what the deal with this gun is. Well, and I'll tell you, my experience was kind of similar. So it wasn't like I went to Turkey and all of a sudden the rep says, by the way, let's go to this factory. Of course, he had been mentioning it to me before I ever got over there. And, you know, we did kind of a lot of soul searching on, do we think we're the right company to bring it to market? Once I met Fatih in person and met his staff and visited his factory, I already liked him, liked them, liked what they were doing. I have a lot of trust in Matei. He's been a, a great friend as we've gotten to know each other over the past couple of years. The thing that just put it over the top was similar to the experience you just mentioned. I, I said, okay, enough talk. Let's go to the range. I want to shoot it. Yeah. And I shot it and I took my time. I wanted to see, I'm not a great shot, but I'm a decent shot. And I wanted to see if I really apply myself. We were, I ran the target out to maybe 25 feet or so. If I really apply myself, Will this thing perform with accuracy? And I'm going to pay attention to the recoil and really slow down and feel the experience. It was so comfortable to shoot. It felt so right in my hand. The trigger for a polymer pistol. For me, that that's it's important that you make that distinction. Are we talking about the trigger on a competition gun or a 1911 or a high-end yep. 1911? Are we talking an MSRP of $400, which is what this gun is, polymer pistol and so there's a certain expectation for a 400 dollars polymer pistol what that trigger is going to feel like and yeah. when i pulled and got that crisp you know a little bit of uptake and then that crisp yep. break and the pretty relatively short reset and then the repeatability of the shooting experience i thought okay this is a lot of fun to shoot and then about halfway through the magazine i realized man i just put eight shots through the same hole and then I finished the magazine and I had 16 shots through the same hole. And I went, okay, I'm not like some great <laughs> shooter. This thing, this thing is a usable gun in a lot of different applications because it fits in that wonderful wheelhouse of it can be what you need it to be. It's a, it's a four inch pistol. So it can be a concealed gun. It's also yep. large enough. It can be an accurate range gun. With a few more features, which will come out in the tactical competition model later this year, it could even be a, a three-gun competition IDPA type deal for you if you need it to be. So it, it just checks a lot of boxes. And then when you look at the price it comes in at, you go, man, th this thing can compete. It, this can be a runner in the U.S. market. It really can. Uh, and that's the funniest thing about it is, you know, so my initial – my initial, um, my initial, uh, sorry, with the cough medicine, I get a little foggy headed sometimes still. Um, my initial impression of the gun was, is, okay, the trigger was a little bit of a long take up. Um, but when it broke, it broke crisp. The reset was short. Um, and that's why I was like, uh, now I'm just going to have fun with this gun, right? And then coming back to the booth and, and going, okay, tell me more about this gun. Um, and, you know, MSRP of $400. I'm like, that was not a $400 gun that I shot. There, there was just no way in, 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 
every feeling and the essence of shooting that gun, that was not a $400 gun. Well, I'll tell you, it's been a, an endless topic of conversation for us, or at least it was. It's not anymore because we picked our path and we're running with it. This gun, I completely agree. This should be in a higher price bracket. The fact of the matter is when you bring a new product to the market, you got to get people excited to buy it. And I can tell them till I'm blue in the face, hey, it's a it's a great gun. It's a wonderful gun. The market will eventually figure that out, but it's going to be a much longer road. It might be a three, four year ad- ad- adoption period by the public if we wait for them to figure that out on their own. We need to entice them to go figure out this is a good manufacturer and a great gun. And what's our best yeah. tool to do that is price point. So we've introduced the gun at the 399 MSRP because we know that'll get a lot of them out there and then we can create that groundswell. But the fact is um, we've really decided to forego a lot of the success we should have, financial success with this gun in the early years, because we're hoping that 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 strategy of helping the public lead the public to this gun, it's worth sacrificing most, uh, maybe could be all of the profit in the first couple of years to uh, yeah. to help the public fall in love with the gun because we believe it, that this factory is really going to do some great things in the future and we want to be part of it. I mean, and that's you know, and that's a hard thing, right? I mean, you're bringing an, uh, a new gun to market. Um, it doesn't have. I mean, let's face let's face it. BRG. Um, when I was walking range day, I'm like, what's BRG? You know, um, I'll be honest. I walked past it. I walked right past your 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 booth, and then it was uh, lunchtime. I was coming back because you know I had in my mind I had already set who who I'm going to talk to, and I'm like I want to get those things done. And I'm like, there's this BRG thing. I I just I don't know what it is, but that's why I came back. Um, you know, if if that gun were to be released under. Sig, Glock, you name one of the big ones, you would have a lot of people rushing to it, bringing a new gun to market, being that name brand. It's a lot easier. You guys are bringing in a new gun and that's, and that's kind of the hurdle that you're fighting now as a, as a new, you know, as a new gun is getting that word of mouth out. I mean, that's, I, I, I just, I was impressed with the gun and that's kind of why I wanted to get you on the podcast to talk about this because a $400 gun, that thing shot amazing. The 10,000 round gun. I mean, um, you know, since we're pre-recording, we can handle guns here. Um, I have a 1911 I've been working on here. You know, you were talking about the rails, right? I mean, right here, I have some, I have some Dyke and blue. That's a low side in the rail. Mm-hmm. And this is what you were talking about where, the you know the slide is rubbing that 10,000 round gun i did not see that i mean that that's why i said that it was almost like a 3,000 round gun uh looking at the finish underneath of the slide it did not look like a 10,000 round gun um you have a great package together and it, and i mean even talking about the packaging it you have a, a solid case you're not pick and pluck foam in that casing. I mean, it, the presentation of the gun when you get this gun is even forward thinking on that. Um, 
Well, I don't want to mess up any of your, you mentioned the pre-recording here. I don't want to mess up the rules, but I have one. You mentioned earlier, you, you know, I, I'm busy right now this week in particular. Yeah. Heck, it feels like every week is busy, but right now I'm sitting in a, a luxurious hotel room and I, I say that completely <laughs> tongue in cheek. Um, but I am in downtown Fort Worth for what's called the nation's best sports uh, buying show. It's NBS. So I'm here basically to get this gun in front of a lot of the retailers in the country who come in to, you know, hopefully rate some orders. Can I show this gun right now? Is that going to mess anything up? Yeah, you? but so, nope. Since we're pre-recording this, you're allowed to handle a gun. It's just when it's live on YouTube, that's where it gets a little. That's where it gets things. So, absolutely, pick that thing up and show it. It's you know the audience on the video side. I would love to see them. That you see, that's a great presentation right there. There we go. So yeah, there's the case. You see, we've got the magazine in the gun plus an extra mag. And then you've got the, man, I can't figure out which way to go here. There we go. Yeah. So the mag and the gun, the extra mag, and then we've got the two extra back straps. It comes factory with the medium, but then there's the, the large and the small. We got the load assist. You got the full cleaning kit with four different brushes, the trigger lock, um, the, the swath, the uh, cleaning patch, and the gun oil. And like you mentioned, this is all laser cut foam in there. So yeah. this is a, everything stays where it's supposed to. The gun itself, one of the features we haven't mentioned here is a, one of the things that made a lot of the females who operated the gun at the range fall in love with it was the ease of working the controls. Yeah. And so if, you know, if you're working with a smaller hand where reach is a little tougher and particularly like applying pressure to some of the controls, this slide release here or the slide stop for a lot of people that comes um it's located in a place that's tough to reach where you really feel like you have to change your grip to reach up yep. and grab that and with our gun it's right there and that's not just for me i've got a medium-sized hand but a lot of the females who came and said well it's long enough that i'm able to still get good purchase on it and then when you do it we've all felt that gun where you have to get both hands on yep. there and really press it this thing, and this is a gun that's not even been fired. I mean, this came right out of the factory as a display gun here for NBS. So it's not like this thing's been broken in. And as you can see, I still have the magazine in, which makes it harder yet. That thing is yeah. just easy, easy press. And and that's amazing. I that is that that impressed me because you know a lot of instructors teach the slingshot method of bringing your slide. You know, you're gonna you 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 take your your support hand, pull it back and let it go. Mm -hmm. Even as a kid, I've been shooting since I was seven. I want, you know, I want that slide stop. Um, and I'll do it on this 1911 here. You know, I like, I like having my thumb on that slide stop and bringing that home mm -hmm. because I'm not changing my hand. I can do my reload, you know, my mags in, I'm coming up with my support hand. I like to hit the slide stop to bring that thing home. Sure. Um, and, you know, there are carry guns that I have right now that I have to slingshot. And it drives me nuts well, doing the thing that I, because my my regular competition gun, I hit that slide stop. Yeah. And yours was, uh, ultimately, that was my first impression of the gun, um, even before the trigger is I put that that magazine in, I hit that slide stop, and that thing just was like that. 
And I'm like, well, oh, this is nice. And I tell people this a lot. Right now, I'll do a shameless plug to get a different color finish in there. So here's here's one of the yeah. tan. And by the way, um, I just showed the black one. So there is a tan one and there is a two-tone one. And these will both be coming on the next shipment that will be either the end of February or beginning of March. So we'll have our first stock of these guys in. But for the tan one, for example, in my hand, I tell people a lot who are unfamiliar with firearms who for the first time, you know, that slides back and, you know, you called it the slingshot method. When they say, I'm going to pull it back and then I'm going to drop the slide. Well, unfortunately, they do it the way I just showed you, which is totally wrong. They pull it back and then they guide it forward in a way that does not allow the gun to function like it's supposed to. And I have to remind them, look, if you're operating that gun, when it when recoil pushes that slide back and then it comes forward to grab the next slide, it's not happening in a nice, gentle way. It's not coming forward and scooping up that bullet in a nice, slow, floating way and gently pushing into the chamber. No, the spring in that gun is operated in a way that once it comes back, that that slide is going to pop forward and scoop the next round up off the top of the magazine and put it where it's supposed to be, which is firmly in the chamber. And so I think it's important, not just from a standpoint of like teaching people how to operate a particular model of gun, but help them to understand the gun mechanics of what's happening when a semi-automatic firearm is operating. It's operating semi-automatically because the internal mechanics of the gun are set up to do it a certain way. Let the gun do its job, reach up, drop that slide and let it put the bullet where it's supposed to put it. Right. Yeah. And, and that's just, I mean, that, that was just one of the, one of the many things about the gun that I just really liked. Um, I mean, we're used to slide stop buttons, you know, that, that are, are small. That thing is slightly oversized. It's easy to use. It's, it, um, I didn't have a problem with riding the slide stop, right? Because that's some, when you start seeing a, a larger slide stop there, yeah. you start to worry about riding that slide stop. That you're going to lock that slide open. I didn't have that problem at all. That gun just kind of fit my hand right. All the controls worked exactly the way I had expected them to. And then, um, you know, the, I hate to keep coming back to it, but that essence of shooting, you can just get into it. The, the, that's one less thing that I had to worry about as a shooter is manipulating the controls. And well, I, I enjoyed it. I think it was, um, was it last week or the week before. I think it was last week. I was on with Ghost and he mentioned, yep. you know, hey, you had me fill out this survey when I got done shooting. And he said some of the stuff I was perfectly comfortable answering, like, hey, what do you think of the presentation in the case? I had no problem answering that. It was uh, it's great. I like it. He said, but I'd only put two mags through the gun. I was a little uncomfortable answering some of those questions. And and I kind of talked through with him. Why was I asking that? I, initial impressions was something that was very important to me to, to ascertain that day. Um, but I do remember talking to him that day about, you know, the controls and the usability of the gun and that I think it was the fifth question I asked about the shooting. I, I want you to rate the shootability. And I love that word because it's so versatile. It means something different to every shooter. Yep. We asked a question about the ergonomics. We asked a question about the trigger. We asked a question about the sights. But when I say shootability, 
Now, to me, that means how how smooth is the recoil and how quickly can I get back on target? And I think that's what it means to a lot of people. But to some other people who are still maybe new to the sport, shootability means, you know, did I feel like the gun was jumping out of my hand and I had to reposition it? Did I feel intimidated by how hard it was to work the controls? You know, shootability to me is like, how much fun did you have with the gun? And that's yeah. part of what this gun is, is something we want people to go out and run it on the course or at the range and show it to your friends and have fun with it. And it's funny that you bring up ghosts because, um, you know, I was there when he was shooting, shooting the gun and then coming back and doing the survey. Um, and honestly, I mean, just the survey alone was a, a different experience at your booth because here's like, here's a tablet. And then we're, we're going through things. I, I know, you know, I was watching him do his survey and, and, and filling some of that stuff out. And, um, you know, we got, we were talking about that gun even after walking out of the booth hmm. and um, cause afterwards, cause Cl Clover tack was there at, at the same time. So the three of us, <clears throat> excuse me, we all shared a, a Verbo for, for shot show. Mm -hmm. um, so we were all commuting together and all that stuff. Um, we were going over to the shotguns to, to shoot. And then, you know, Ghost and I were sitting there talking about that gun while, like, while Clover was shooting the shotguns. And it was, it was just a, a completely different experience. Um, I mean, it, it really was. And it's just, it, it was a joy. I, and, and, and I know it's so hard to say. I mean, you're running into the same problem with bringing a new gun to market. Until you get your hand on that gun and shoot it, it, it's different, right? I mean, a, a $400 gun, I've shot $400 guns that were complete garbage. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I said before that when I came walking off the firing line going, that was not a $400 gun I shot. There's just no way. Well, and the way um, I like to put that, I like to explain to people that you know, we, so we had two guys on the firing line that day who are both experienced mm -hmm. range instructors. So Randy, I mentioned, has 23 years as a primary marksmanship instructor in the Marine Corps. Shooting was his, literally his profession, right? And then the other guy is Rodney, who was four years Marine Corps, um, almost five, I think. But again, he's a recon guy. So guns mm -hmm. were a big part of his life. Yep. But they continued to be even after he got out of the Marine Corps. I love to tell people like this is a guy who a lot of people, they go home at the end of the day and they've had a long day and their stress relief is to sit down with a couple beers and watch TV. Rodney's stress relief is to go down to the basement and run gun drills for an hour. And I'm not making that up. That's what the guy does. So if there's a new gun that comes through our retail store, and when I say new, it could be used new to him. He'll buy it. He, he doesn't look at these things like they are uh, lifelong investments. It's like, hey, that gun's there. I've never shot one of those. I, I got to have it. And if I love it, I'll yeah. keep it. If I don't, I'll sell it and I'll buy another one. He just wants to experience them, right? Right. So this is a guy that I, you need that background to understand what I'm about to tell you. This is not a guy who has tried a gun or two in his life and said, yeah, I kind of like shooting. I go out you know, from time to time. This is it for him. This is his yeah. epicenter of hobbies. Uh, and lifestyles to call it hobbies, a disservice to how he treats it. When this gun came out, he was a little bit of a skeptic about the grip safety. And I understand that some people have not had great experiences with grip safeties. What I tell folks before I segue right back to Rodney, 
when you hold this gun, it feels like the grip safety on a 1911 in that you don't real you don't realize it's there. You notice it. Yeah. You notice it because it's designed the right way. Again, it goes back to a credit to, to Fatih and the BRG team. They designed it and built it the right way. So Rodney was a bit of a skeptic, and then he shot it, and then he shot it some more. And now, like I said, we're pushing 13, if we have any clips, 13,000 rounds. Rodney likes this gun so much and trusts it so much that he swapped out two of the main brands, and I mean the big boy brands. They Those no longer ride on his hip on a daily basis. It's this gun. The yeah. BRG 9 Elite is his daily on-my-hip gun, and he takes this stuff very seriously for the defense of his own life and those around him. So, look, I can tell you and tell you and tell you, it's a great gun. You're going to love it. But to your point, until you shoot it, uh, you, you know, yeah, you don't people, know. oh, I'm biased. Right? <laughs> I, I, well, and and you're, you should be, right? Because, you, I mean, this is your this is your legacy that you're building. These are the guns that you brought in. Um, but even then your bias, I, I don't think is misplaced because my experience with that gun is essentially your first experience with that gun over in Turkey. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, you know, I'm glad you brought the grip safety thing up because, you know, back when my wife was trying to figure out what her carry gun was going to be, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she had her hands. We were, we were at, and this is before I was an FFL. Um, we're at the gun counter, and you know, I was like, "Look, the gun has to choose you. You can say I like this gun. And, you know, I want this gun." But in and this went into when I was an FFL. I tell my customers that you you don't choose the gun. The gun chooses you. What feels right in your hand? So when, you know, I saw the BRG nine, I'm like, okay, it's, it's kind of, it, it's, it's a clone of the, um, the Springfield, you know, the XD. When my wife was handling guns, that grip safety drove her nuts on the XD. Mm-hmm. So uh, honestly, when I went up to the firing line, I was expecting because, you know, I, I, I felt, I, I never really, really liked that grip safety on the XD. I don't mind them on the 1911s. I didn't feel it at all. Yeah. Um, that that gun just melded right into my hand. And I'm like, ah, I mean, I, that's that was just amazing. And just talking about uh, Fadi going into the detail of the grip safety, people don't know that there is that level of detail into a gun, you know, thinking about that. Yeah. I mean, we could go for hours, the things that, you know, I was decently well-versed when I went over to Turkey and knew what to look for in a gun. But as the process went on, I remember having a little bit of almost a panic moment when we had, we were already in, I mean, the deal was done, but people started asking me some questions about the gun that were to a level of detail that I just felt out of my element for a moment. But then it, you know, kind of came back down to earth quickly and realized, look, I'm not a gunsmith. Uh, I'm not the designer of the gun. I, I don't have to know how to raise a cow to identify good steak when I eat it, right? Um, it certainly helps to know some of the inside baseball that goes on. And now I feel infinitely more educated than I was when we first started dipping a toe. But at every step of the process where I feared that maybe I would find out a detail that scared me or put me off it went the other way 
every time we asked a question that I didn't know the answer to, we got detailed, specific science driven, driven answers back that it was like, wow, they put so much care into every element of this gun. You know, most people go with a gun and they, they look down the sights and they go, what's well, going to be on target, right? <clears throat> That's a process. There's people yeah. who make an entire career out of designing sites for guns, not just the geometry, but the, the, the color, it, all everything that goes into those. And so all of the, the work and adaptation that went during the design and manufacturing phase of this gun to make sure that when somebody holds that thing on target, it's, it's shooting point of aim. That's, that happens after you finish the internal design of the gun and the guts and, yeah. and the grip angle and the controls and the trigger and all that. Then you got to go, okay, well, that's all wonderful, but the thing still has to shoot where you're pointing it. So let's get that part right. Yeah. And, you know, down to all those details, I guess the, the, the big conclusion is they did it. They did all that yeah. right. They've now brought a market, or I should say we've brought a, a product to market together with the team of, in Turkey of BRG, and we're really proud of it. We're excited to roll it out. We understand it's going to take a little more time to get the groundswell going. But the thing that makes me rest my head easy on the pillow at night is we're not selling a bill of goods here. We're selling a fantastic product for a, a more than fair price, and so it's only a matter of time before folks catch on. Yeah. Now, with the BRG9 being... Uh, well, a new gun. Mm -hmm. What about accessories? I mean, you know, a holster and things like that. Yeah. So I, I don't have any in here with me now because they're over at the trade show, but um, we do have some holsters that are available on our website, which goes live this week. And so there we've, we've got the, the gun out to a couple of major holster manufacturers like alien gear who will be carrying one. But then we also are, are working we're almost done, so I maybe shouldn't mention it, but I have a good feeling, so I'm gonna. Um, the folks at Rounded, Concealment Express has, yep. has the brand Rounded. We really like what they're offering. So instead of, instead of a friction fit on their holster, they're doing a trigger guard fit. So you get more of a tactile and audible click when that slides into that, that holster. And so we're really excited about some of those partnerships. But yeah, holsters will be available. I'm I'm glad you're with Rounded. Um, so when I was in FFL, you know, Rounded was uh, Concealment Express. Mm -hmm. um, and I was a dealer for Concealment Express, uh, mostly because, you know, when they first came out, they're like, hey, do you want a free holster? I'm like, well, well, yeah, you know, I'm not going to give up a free holster. Right. And then um, I felt that click in the holster. Um, going forward, you know, over the past couple of years, I've bought holsters from Concealment Express and or Rounded now. And um, I did videos on them because there's that click to that that holster. I mean, it, it just there's a snap. You know, that gun is secured. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, even fair. going. Uh, and that's for me, that's that's exciting. Just knowing that the BRG nine is in rounded um sites right now because though i mean man you can geek out on on holsters with those guys talking about how they 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 mill their own molds and stuff like that that's that's cool that you're already talking um accessories with that yeah and, and great people easy to work with and you know left-handed and right-handed options inside and outside the waistband um 
know, there's the, the standard Kydex, there's the carbon fiber finish, you know, there's all that good stuff that yep. we're going to be working with. So there will be no shortage of options on the holster side, same deal on the magazine side. So the gun ships with two 16 round magazines. Um, we're working on the 10 round for obvious reasons, you know, in some of the States that where that's all you can have as well as 18 round magazines will soon be available on our website. Um, and another exciting partnership that, that we're really just high on is the night sites from night vision. Yeah. So you, I think you came to our booth there after range day, yep. maybe the first or second day of shot show. Um, we were sharing some space with night vision and they were gracious to do that. Great group of guys. Again, I've mentioned it before, but I don't feel like I can ever mention it enough. You know, we, we are a Christian company. We believe in God and in his providence and things seem to happen right on time. So we had used to have a really good relationship. We we'll still do, but we did a lot of business with Kimber where we were manufacturing the test ammo that Kimber was using at their production facility. So for the folks that don't know this, every time a, a firearm is manufactured and comes off the line, the manufacturer likes to run a couple of magazines ammo through it to make sure that it stands up and qualifies and everything's yeah. functioning. Well, for a long time, Kimber, particularly on nine millimeter, but also for their, their K6. So they were using some 38, 357 ammo of ours and some 45 ACP, but a lot of nine millimeter ammo, they were putting ours through their guns. Through that relationship, we met, met a gal who was involved in the marketing for Kimber. She has since moved on and is working with night vision. When we reached out to her to say, hey, we're going to be bringing a gun to market. We could use some advice on marketing. We hope that's not a conflict because we know, you know what you do with Kimber. She said, well, I'm actually not with Kimber anymore. I'm with this company, <laughs> Night Vision. But we should talk because Night Vision loves working with OEM manufacturers to produce night sites. We said, okay, let's talk. And so one thing leads to another. And through Rachel, we, we end up learning that having these night sites as an OEM offering is one thing, but then obviously having them as an aftermarket offering is, a, is another thing. And both are yep. important to different people for different reasons. So uh, we're excited that uh, actually, I think tomorrow, tomorrow's Friday, right? Yes. Yeah. So tomorrow I get my first glimpse at what we think is going to be the final design. And what's great about night vision, awesome. You know, they're tritium experts. They've been in, in the tritium business for decades because they're um, another one of their, their origin projects is the compass that is used by the U.S. military. And one of the I never knew this. I learned all this when we visited their factory. One of the specs for the U.S. military compass is it has to be self-illuminating. So that can't be battery power. It can't be solar power. It has to be self-illuminating. And they do that by putting tritium and little capsules around the face of the compass so that it lights up. Well, that's how they segued into this night sight business. As we're visiting with those folks, you know, we learn not only are they experts in, in tritium, but they have a staff of people, a team of people who are dedicated to the site design that we mentioned earlier, where that's, that's an entirely separate science. Yeah. And I know I'm doing this in a long-winded way, but one of the things we're excited about seeing hopefully tomorrow is that they're going to create our sites to be almost identical they can't be completely but almost identical to the factory sites so that if you do switch from that factory experience to the aftermarket experience you're not sacrificing engineering on either end of the spectrum all of the care that went into the engineering of the gun on why we're going to make the sites exactly the dimensions they are height 
the windage, the elevation, all that, it's going to translate over to the night vision product. You'll just have the, obviously the added benefit of you'll be able to see them with no illumination, you know, in a critical situation for home defense. And, you know, not to segue off of your stuff, but, you know, visiting them in their booth at shot and talking to you, you know, um, off the range, they put tritium on everything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, their booth and I mean, you're talking about a company who is on the main floor of shot. Mm -hmm. That is not a cheap booth. No. Um, and then walking through their booth and, and talking to them, I mean, they will, they put tritium on everything. I mean, knives and all kinds of things. And, and that's really cool that you're working with a company that's, you know, forward thinking like that. Well, just on the sites. We've both got some fun ideas of where that could go as well. So stay tuned. Did you happen to go to their glow room, by the way? Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we were calling it the, the, the clubhouse. Uh, yeah. it was, go it was ghost, uh, ghost Clover and myself. And then we were all in there because it was the, yeah, the dark room for those, those of you who weren't at shot, it was, uh, it, they had a dark room in there and you had the blue guns up against on the wall with the sights on them. So you could see them. And then they had the flashing light bar for, for a squad car in there, um, really kind of screwing with your, your eyesight. And then we're like, Oh, Hey, this is really cool. Then we're all trying to, yeah, we all had our cameras out there trying to figure out who could get the best picture in this dark room with these flashing lights. Right. Um, and it, it was cool. Cause I mean, I, I think that, I think the three of us were in there probably 15 or 20 minutes just screwing around with our cameras. Well, and obviously um, the purpose of that room was for them to show off, you know, how well their tritium night sights yep. work. Right? So they had yeah. all the blue guns on the wall. I'm going to help that. I just, I don't know why I didn't think of this before shot show, but I'm down here at the NBS show. And one of the things I always bring to our booth is our laser ammo system where you can insert an actual, like basically the size of a nine millimeter cartridge in the gun, but it's got an electronic primer and it shoots a, a flash of laser light out the front, mm -hmm. almost like bore sighting a gun. But then there's targets that we put on the other end of the booth so that people can, you know, experience dry the gun, feel the trigger, yeah, yep. do, do some dry firing and actually get response. <clears throat> so I got to talk to those night vision guys and say, hey, you need to borrow our system. They had a TV in that room. So we've actually got the software where they can run simulations. Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah, there's yeah. a camera that picks up on, did you hit the target? Did you, yeah. you know, hit what you were supposed to hit and not what you weren't supposed to hit, right? So, well, we've been running here just a little over an hour. Um, and, and I know you're, you, you're, you had one hellacious day today, just trying to get that booth set up. And then, um, and I appreciate you taking some time out, um, especially with the show going on to talk to us here. Um, what's the future for the BRG nine? Um, I mean, you kind of alluded earlier about, you know, the, the competition and, and the tactical versions. Well, before I forget to say it, yes, it was a long day because I had to get up early, get my daughter off to school, drive to the Detroit airport, fly here, get checked into the hotel, locate my crate, get to my booth, get it set up, get back here, eat some dinner. It's been a long day, but I, I don't mind this at all. I mean, I, I obviously love talking anything guns and 2A, but you know, getting to talk about a gun that we're bringing to the country. I mean, it's, it's such a blessing. <laughs> I can yeah. do this any time of day or night. So I appreciate you 
having us on here. Yeah, no, um, great. Yeah, so the future, a um, couple exciting things. So the four-inch model is what we're selling now. I mentioned next month we start getting the two-tone and the FDE models in. We have not really announced this yet, so you're, you get the inside track here, but there will be a special edition model that comes out a little later this year that's going to be a different color that um, Fatih, the, the owner of BRG, is particularly fond of, and we are too. So that'll come out later this year. Cool. There is a five-inch model that the engineering has already done on, and so the five-inch model, I think, is likely um, to be soon. There is a generation two model of this gun that's just got some different features um, that's currently in discussion. There's a tactical model that'll come out with some of the features that, you know, today's U.S. shooters love to see, you know, a slide yeah. cut for the RMR, um, a match grade trigger, a, a beveled mag well, extended magazine capacity, ambidextrous slide release, all that good stuff. Threaded all, barrel. All the, all the tactical stuff. That's right. Tactical to the to the nth degree. Um, and all of this stuff that I mentioned is like stuff that's already in or almost in the works. That's not to mention all the other stuff for the BRG platform that we have just fantasized over. So sure. those fantasies will become reality, knowing the factory, knowing how aggressive the owner is and knowledgeable and, and how passionate he is about putting his stamp on this industry. There's going to be a lot more models, but everybody's got to start somewhere, right? And so we mentioned some of those other Turkish models. And look, I, I make no bones about it. I'm a, I'm a fan of some of the other stuff out there, American or otherwise. And I think Canik is a great example of a, a yeah. manufacturer who came out. And they said, we're going to do one model, but we're going to do it really well. And then we'll go from there. You know, And I think that we probably have a similar roadmap. That's awesome. Because um, I, I love that you brought up um canic with that because they hit the market they were a nobody um had a great trigger and then they blew up mm -hmm. i by any stretch of the imagination your brg9 is just as good if not better than that gun right there um so i think when people i think when people get their hands on these guns um, especially new shooters. Um, you know, you know, we have a lot of brand new gun owners out there. This gun is just going to, I don't want to say ease them into, into, into the shooting sports, but it's just an easy gun to shoot that I think that will bring in more people into the shooting sports. Um, you know, they're going to, Hey, I bought this gun as I'm a brand new gun owner and I love this thing. Um, I think that's, that's where a lot of growth can be with, with your firearm. Well, I appreciate um, that. You know, obviously we love coming on shows like yours and, and doing any kind of interview, any kind of marketing we can to get the word out because that's where it all has to start. Again, right. I can talk about it all day long till the cows come home. It's not worth one one hundredth of the experience of putting that gun in somebody's hand and letting them go have fun on the range with it. So yep. we just want to spread the word and hopefully as many people as possible will will do that work for us by speaking well about what a good time and what yeah. a good experience they had with it. So basically everybody's gotta go out, buy a BRG nine, <laughs> and then and then invite someone new to go to the range with them to shoot that BRG nine, and then they go go buy another BRG nine. Um, 
Hashtag then, share a BRG with share a BRG. There you, there you I'm go. Not good with hashtags, man. <laughs> um, so you know, um, you know, I, like I said, we've been running a little over an hour here. I want to be respectful of your time and you know let you get some sleep so you can actually be awake at the at the booth. Let people know where they can reach you. Um, you know, for both Buffalo and BRG and. And for those of you who are watching on YouTube or listening on the audio channels, I'll have a link to those websites in the show notes there. So that way you can just click on them and go there. Yeah. So luckily we live in the age of Google. So it's pretty simple to remember. If you just Google Buffalo cartridge, uh, you'll find us and you can link to our ammo or to the BRG USA website from there. So buffalocartridge.com is that website brgusa.com just has a hyphen in between brg and usa but like i tell folks just google it you'll find it um and once you're there there's a pretty good rundown of what the products are that we offer and what accessories can go along with them and there's contact information there if you have any questions and want to reach out but um i just can't stress enough we're excited about the product because we feel like it sells itself and over enough time once the word gets out and enough good you know, people have a good experience with it. Um, all we have to do is just keep doing what we've done from the beginning, and that's be passionate about something we think is important in the firearms industry and keep telling the truth that we think we got a good product here uh, for a good price. And that's it. It's that simple for us. <laughs> and and that's, that's the greatest way to end a podcast. It's simple. <laughs> there you go. All right. So, Ken, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, I hope you have a great show down there in Texas. Um, and then, uh, you know, we're pre-recording this, so uh, you'll get to see it on Monday on your way back. Good deal. Well, I think we've got that firearm on its way to you this week or next week. So hopefully you can yep. follow this up with doing a, a full review of it and let folks know what you think after you spend some more trigger time behind it. Absolutely. I, I you know, when I was saying that I was saving uh, my nine millimeter up and I was shooting my 40 last year. Well, that just gives me more nine millimeter to run through a BRG nine. Well, I hope you got 13,000 rounds. I don't have 13,000. Well, <laughs> well, you know, Hey, you do have an ammunition company. You could send a few boxes with it too. Oh, subtle. Hint, right? <laughs> yeah, subtle hint. Watching. We know we have to send those separately. They can't go. In yeah, the same exactly. So Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Really appreciate it. I had a great time talking to Ken. We talked for a while at range day. And then even at the first day of shot, we talked again at the booth. He's such a great guy to talk to. He's so easy to talk to. And really, I can't say enough about this BRG-9. It's honestly, you know, in the, in the interview, you heard me say, you know, my initial impression was it's a clone. You know, th this gun's already been in the market. What makes this thing different? They spent money to be at range day to let you shoot ammo. And they weren't stingy on the ammo either. I mean, you know, some of these people, you got five shots or three shots. They're handing you a mag, sometimes two. And you, you got to shoot the gun and really get to see why this is not really a clone. 
Um, there's definitely a, a spin on that gun that makes it great. Now I do have one coming in for trial and evaluation. You'll see some additional videos on that on the channel coming up in the next couple months. But I did enjoy shooting that gun at range day. I was surprised. I really was surprised at the difference of this gun. Make sure you check out Buffalo Cartridge Company and BRG USA. Their links are down below. They'll take you right to their webpage. They're not affiliate links. Just go check out what products they have. If you like the work that I do here, please consider supporting me for free by shopping my affiliate links and banners at www.trb.fyi. Just click on the banner. It'll take you to those web pages and a small percentage of your purchase will come back to me to bring you additional content, but it's not gonna cost you anything more than you were going to spend before. If you prefer to do a direct donation, right on the page, you can make a direct donation to the channel to help me bring additional content. Thanks for listening to me. Hope you're staying safe there. And I look forward to talking to you again soon.